continue in worship here in a moment, but as we've been doing, I want to invite you to prepare your minds for worship, to prepare your hearts for worship, to prepare your whole selves for worship. So let's just take a minute or so and just quiet ourselves, maybe close your eyes, slow down your breathing, inhale deeply, exhale slowly. You might want to put up your palms in a receiving posture, but let's just take a couple minutes to kind of get ourselves ready to be in worship. you to stand with us as we as we begin worship. Um, we're going to teach you a chorus here. It's real easy. I think you'll catch on to it uh, pretty quick, but uh, we'll sing it once. You can kind of hear it, then join us, and we'll just kind of get going with it. So. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's no
worthy of our praise, of our glory, of our worship. You alone are able to pick us up, to carry us, to shoulder our burdens, to shoulder our sins. You alone could shoulder the weight of a death. You alone have shown death its place. You alone have resurrected and saved us. So we praise you. We offer our hearts to you. We offer our lives to you. We pray that as a church, we may be a people who, who come here to, to be with one another, to experience community, to share our love with each other, but to, in that, be refilled to share our love with our community, with our family, with our friends, with our neighbors who are not here, to share your love with our enemies, with people who are different than us, people who look different than us, people who have different political beliefs than us. We ask that your love pour through us and that they may see you in us. We pray that as a church, your spirit may move here and that we may be changed because of it. And we pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning to everyone here. Hello to everyone at home. Hello. We are in a new series. Uh, we kicked off last week and kind of pseudo the week before, uh, but we're, we're wrestling. We're talking about here on Hardawike's campus, here at Watershed in particular. What, we're, we're wrestling with that question. What happens when the world doesn't look the way you think it should? What happens when life isn't the way we thought it would be? And we are engaging the book of Daniel because Daniel is one of those books in the Bible where for the people of Israel, life is certainly not the way it used to be, not the way it's supposed to be, and they are lost, they're confused, they're, um, they're hurting, they're wondering what's next, they're wondering God promised 70, in 70 years he would bring them back. For many, though, they would die in the land of Babylon. Life isn't the way it's supposed to be. Last week we talked a little bit about influences in Daniel 1 and what are our influences. It carries over today into Daniel 2. And uh, we're going to talk about this as the if-onlys in life. What are the wisdom, the conventional wisdom and power in the world that you could say, if only fill in the blank. If only we would put this person in power, life would be better. Anybody? Right? Welcome to the season of life. If only this particular group of people are in power, we have all of life's questions answered and we will be fine. Right? We want to solve the problem. If only, how about this? They would just think like me. Right? Anybody ever say that? Well, you might not say that, but you're feeling it, right? We're thinking it. If only the world would look like X, Y, or Z. Right? If only. The world is full of a lot of conventional wisdoms and powers that, seem, that we seem to gravitate to to solve the problems. To solve that big question of why is the world not looking the way it's supposed to be? Well, in Daniel 2, we see the if-onlys 
of the world, the wisdom and power, the conventional wisdom and power in the world that King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of Babylon, relied on. And then how that, when that started to fall apart, he didn't know what to do or where to turn. And thankfully, the good news is Daniel knew where to go. Knew, like we said last week, who he was and whose he was. Knows where real wisdom and power lies. So if you will, turn with me. We're going to go into Daniel 2. We're not going to read the whole chapter this week, but we'll read a part of it. We're right in the middle of Daniel 2. And we hear this, Daniel 2, starting in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house, explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. We'll get to what all this is in a moment. But he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So you're picking up, something's going on. There's an execution about ready to be, be had. Well, verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And he said, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise, knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon. And he said to them, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how did we get here? How do we get to this crescendo in the middle of Daniel 2, where Daniel is pleading with his friends, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, to plead for mercy from God, for what? To reveal what mystery? What dream? Well, let's take a look. And today, we're going to wrestle with some emojis, right? Because if, if we look at our feelings, how often are we texting each other emojis instead of words? It's a whole lot easier. My daughter will sometimes say, hey, Dad, that's a little too many emojis, right? So if you get done with today and there's too many emojis, well, sorry, I do that anyways. So, but how do we get here? How do we get to this place where Daniel is pleading with God for mercy, pleading for God for his wisdom and power, and, it, and he ends hearing it and praising God? Well, in verse 1 of chapter 2, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had dreams. His mind was troubled. And he couldn't sleep. So something happens. He, we, we see throughout Daniel 2 that God actually comes to Nebuchadnezzar, this Babylonian ruler, and gives him a dream. And this dream troubles him. He doesn't know what to do with it. We don't know in the text if he can remember the dream completely or whether it's just troublesome. If you go to the latter half of Daniel 2, you'll, you'll see that this dream has uh, this large statue with a gold head. And the gold head then has a chest and arms made of silver. After that, then kind of the waist section and the thighs are made of bronze. The legs 
of lead, and then finally the feet have clay mixed in. And in this statue that has sort of decreasing value, decreasing strength, there all of a sudden comes this stone out of nowhere that obliterates the statue. So I don't know, if you go into bed and you have a dream, and you're the king of the then-known world, and you see a statue get laid to rubble, I might be thinking, wow, what's going to happen to me? Don't know. I can only try to put myself in Nebuchadnezzar's head. Nonetheless, this dream troubles him. The world troubles us, doesn't it? We have moments, we have circumstances, we have things that catch our attention that start to make us a little restless, start to cause us to be a little confused. Well, Nebuchadnezzar and the story doesn't end there. It says this, the king now replied to the astrologers, so wise men, magicians, diviners, uh, astrologers, these were the people who were his counsel. These were the people who knew all the charts knew had had got all the di- had all the dimes and degrees right they knew every little well if the gods did this then that meant this right we could we could point to point on the graph they were the ones equipped to answer and bring peace to Nebuchadnezzar he says this is what i've firmly decided if you do not tell me what my dr- what my dream was and interpret it i will have you cut into pieces and your house is turned into piles of rubble so do this for me or else, right? The king of Babylon does what Babylon's good at, is, well, if you can't make this happen, I'm going to wipe you out. And if that's not good motivation for you, let me motivate you in a different way. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor, right? So I'm going to bribe you. <laughs> so, so if you can't, if you need, like, anger and fear in you to motivate you, guess what? I'll give you that. I'll wipe you out, I'll turn your, turn your houses to rubble, get her done. Oh, and if that doesn't work for you, I'll bribe you, and I'll make sure you're going to be the richest in the land. Oh, this is going to be so good for you if you just get it right. I don't care, figure it out, right? Nebuchadnezzar's world isn't working right now. And what we find, even his religion, and the systems, the structures, the if-onlys of his life, don't seem to be answering the question, bringing peace. Why? Because the wise men, the astrologers in Daniel 2, 10 to 11 say this, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. Seems like sometimes we look at the world and it's the impossible, we're asking for the impossible. We may try to bring our if-only answers, that conventional wisdom and power to play, but at the end of the day, we're trying to solve things that are way beyond our pay grade, that's, that are, most of the time are impossible for us to fix. And the astrologers, the wise men of Babylon, rightly say this, this is not possible. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. So on this, you're asking us something that is, it's not possible. It doesn't work. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Right? Their idea of the gods, where the gods were separated from humanity. They didn't come to play. They may give you a vision from time to time, but they never interacted with human beings. They were never concerned with whether or not you got it right 
or not. They, they didn't care. Their picture of their gods, their lifeless gods, right? Because they couldn't do anything about this. The, Nebuchadnezzar was lost. He didn't know what to do, didn't know where to go. My question for us, our first question this morning is this. What are the wisdom and powers other than God? See, Daniel, as we heard, God comes into a different place, and we'll hear in just a moment. He comes from a different area. He's the one who sets kings in power and and deposes them. He's the one who has all authority and power. The God who created the world certainly knows all of the wisdom of the world, how it works, knows how to restore it. But what other wisdom and powers, right, other than God in your life, are the one things that lead you to say, if only. And how do you feel when those things don't seem to be working? Who are the people that we're trusting in? Who are the, the groups that we're relying on? Who is, what's that conventional wisdom and power that, if it's not working in your life, starts to, like Nebuchadnezzar, trouble you? That if my framework here isn't adding up or lining up, it's the, if, if the books that I've went to before just don't seem to be enough, what are those things in your life and in mine? We all have them, right? We live in a fallen world. We live where Satan has been trying to influence us, right? Trying to change us, trying to pull us away from the God of this world. And he's trying to give us influences, wisdoms, powers to rely on other than God. See, the good news is Daniel decided not to go there, Daniel saw that wisdom and power wasn't what you could read in a book. It wasn't some chart that if the gods did this, then it equaled that. Tremper Longman, who writes on Daniel, says this, at its foundation, wisdom is not a lesson to be learned, but a relationship to be enjoyed. This is what we see in Daniel. This is what we see in our text this morning, right? Daniel runs to the person of God. He doesn't run to a book. He doesn't run to enchanters who maybe may know something about what's taking place. No, he goes directly to the God of the world. Because Daniel's wisdom, contrary to that of the learned Babylonian astrologers, did not come from books, dream interpretation instead. came from a conversation, a prayer with God himself. Right, our wisdom isn't going to rely on the conventional structures and powers of this world. Because our God, and that's good news, our God stands above all of those conventional wisdom and powers. Our God who is the one who, remember this book is written to a a community that was in the Greco-Roman world who had no king, had no authority, had no place in this earth. And he's saying, listen, God is sovereign whether you're in power or not. God is still in control. This is the good news. So let's look throughout Daniel 2 and see what God is doing and how God is at work. In Daniel 2.16, the, the enchanters, the magicians, in their conversation with Nebuchadnezzar, he goes, he, he senses from them they're trying to buy time. If your life's on the line, wouldn't you try to buy some time too? Yeah? Well, guess what? He goes, no, it ain't going to happen. But Daniel, when he hears that his line, or his life is on the line, as well as Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, he goes back to the king. And what does he do? He asks for time. At this, Daniel went into the king, Daniel 2.16, asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. 
And as the text we read at the beginning, what did he do? He was given time. God stepped in in a place where no time had been given before. Now, time had been provided. The God of the world came and said, okay, we're going to give Daniel some time because he knew that Daniel was coming to him. Wasn't going to anywhere else, but was coming to him. So God provided time. We go on in verses 19 to 20 to hear this. During the night, we read this at the beginning. During the night, the mystery was what? Revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Why? Because wisdom and power are his. God has not only provided relief to Daniel by giving him time, now God has provided relief to Daniel by actually giving him not only the interpretation of the dream, but giving the impossible, the dream itself. Where conventional worldly wisdom and power couldn't work, didn't work, had no chance at working for Daniel as he went to the relationship that is the true wisdom that we hold, that relationship with God, as he leaned and relied on him, God delivered. What a relief. The amazing grace of God continues to be at play. So we got a little emoji, and I'm feeling that after playing a little guitar. Anybody else a little warm today? But now what? Thumbs up. Time to celebrate. Because there wasn't just relief for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. There was relief for some other folks as well. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, what? Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret his dream for him. Right? These wise men, these diviners, these astrologers, these magicians who, if you read earlier in the Old Testament, would say, these people deserve to die according to the law. They don't deserve to live. So actually, God should should smite them and only save Daniel and his friends. No, because our God is a God of grace and mercy. Remember at the beginning of this whole series, we're talking about the fact that God says, hey, when you're in this land that doesn't make sense, pray for peace for this land. Work for peace in this land because if it goes well for this land, it will also go well for you. And as Daniel not only seeks to save his own skin, And his friends, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But in the midst, saves a multitude of others because of what? The graciousness of God. Not just to the people of God, but the entire world that God has created and still loves. God shows his grace abundantly, pouring it out in a place that seems like it shouldn't be. Well, there's celebration and there's one more celebration. Because Nebuchadnezzar, who had received a dream from God, which, I mean, that's in itself, again, another grace. That Nebuchadnezzar would receive a word from the God of heaven that he didn't know nor worship. But what happens? After Daniel reveals this dream, says this dream, we hear this. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. That's Daniel speaking to the king, and now the king said to Daniel, surely your God, listen to this, the king of kings, right? Nebuchadnezzar was considered the king of kings. 
The king of kings says this, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of what? Kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. Daniel doesn't come in and say, I got it. No, he says, my God has it. The God of wisdom and power has come to you. Oh, by the way, this vision that you see where a stone brings this this mighty statue to its knees has now brought the king of kings to his knee to bow to the true king of kings. Only the God who created the world, the God who is sovereign over all of it, the God who both puts kings in place and deposes them, the God who is in the space where things don't make sense as well as in the space where they do. That God is the God that brings not only Nebuchadnezzar to his knees, but Daniel as well. Why? Because that God cares deeply, not only for Israel, but for Babylon and for us. So my question for us is this. So God's provision of his wisdom and power offered relief, gave cause for celebration. So how does knowing that God provides that same wisdom and power today impact you and help you live? Right? How does that reality, that God provides, even in spaces where the world can't, is inept and unable, but we can depend on a God who can't. That the God who created the world knows what's best for it, knows how to operate in it, and knows how to not only help us, but shows us grace in it. Not only for our sake, but for the sake of a world that he desperately loves. God loved Babylon as much as he loved the people of Israel. And he was using Daniel to bring life to them. I want to go back to the words of Tremper Longman because he sees a connection here. And I hope we can see the same connection. It's a connection that the Apostle Paul, this great follower of Jesus who writes a majority of the New Testament, recognized. Paul realized this, as Daniel did before him, that true wisdom is the result of a relationship, right? We heard that already. A relationship with God who created and rules over the world. The apostle chosen by God to testify to the great acts of redemption, that's God bringing his world back to himself, could speak, though, more precisely than Daniel. Daniel interacted with God, but Paul got to see something else. We get to see something else. If asked about the source of wisdom, Paul would reply, he would reply what? Jesus Christ. That Christ is the source of our wisdom and power. That a relationship with him will help us find our way when our if-onlys aren't working. And if those if-onlys actually are working, it's probably because of Jesus Christ, his grace, his mercy, his wisdom, and his power. So I want to end today by hearing the words of Paul as he writes in Corinthians about Jesus Christ being the wisdom and power of God. He says this in chapter 1, starting in verse 22, Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom. This wasn't much different than Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, was it? We're looking for, for signs, wisdom, you help me figure it out. I need to know. But we preach Christ crucified, 
a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Jesus Christ doesn't make sense in an if-only world because he challenges our structures and our systems and our people who call themselves the wise, who are the system of power. He says, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, See, as much as we are the people who are looking for and are the fallible, we are sometimes the foolish. We are sometimes the Babylonians, folks. We're the magicians and the enchanters. Sometimes, though, we're the Daniels. And I don't know about you, most days I don't know which one I am. But nonetheless, while there is the, those looking for signs, those who are looking for the wisdom of the world, there are some that get it. There are some that will see that Christ, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's definitive when he says this. He's absolute. If there's anything you can anchor yourself on, and that is the stone at the end of chapter 2 that comes, that isn't hewn by human hands, isn't formed by something we could conjure, we could concoct, that some graph could make up for us. There is a kingdom and there is a king who comes and establishes himself, small, yes, as a person, but it explodes into a mountain that consumes the whole world. This is the hope for us. This is the hope for the Israelites in Babylon. This is the hope for Babylon. This is the hope for the United States. This is the hope for our world. It is Jesus Christ, the King of kings, that makes every knee bow, every tongue confess. For the foolishness, I love this, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. Like, God at his worst is still better than us. (laughs) Right? And the weakness of God is stronger than human wisdom. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Thanks, Paul. Not many were influential. Again, you rock. Not many were of noble birth. Right? But God chose the what? The foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose Daniel, a Hebrew captive. Mishael, Hananiah, Azariah. To show his grace in a land that didn't deserve it, right? That's grace. But certainly needed it. That God loved. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Daniel shows us that it is about God, Nebuchadnezzar, not about me. While Daniel received a a reward, he gave all praise and credit to God, and Nebuchadnezzar saw the God who was wise and powerful. Jesus always said, I came to do my Father's will, not mine. It is because of him, Christ, or because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. How do we do that in this world? We do like Daniel. We get on our knees. We seek the wisdom of God. Thankfully, he has given us his story, the Bible. He has given us a wisdom, not charts and graphs, 
Not so we can interpret what the head was and which nation that was. And if, if that's what we think Daniel's about, we're missing the point of this story. We miss that it's a story about God, the King of Kings and his kingdom. A kingdom that we're welcomed into. That as Jesus says in Luke 20, that he is the stone that the builders have rejected. And either we're going we're to get crushed by him, we're going to crumble on him, or we'll stand upon him. But we stand in faith, believing in his finished work, what he has already accomplished. Right? This is our wisdom. We rely on him. We pray to him. We praise him. We look to him for answers. I'm sorry, folks, not to our presidents. Notice I said plural. Our presidents are not God. They are not the second coming of Jesus. We don't look to our parties for answers. They have some, but the sum that they have is a gift of God, and it's his wisdom already, but they certainly are not him. Don't look to me, because I'm not Jesus. I know part of this story, pieces. Reorganization may have a smidget, may have a little speck, but at the end of the day, the good news is we're not stuck coming to me, depending on our presidents, depending on our parties, depending on books. We're depending on the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, who by his grace does interact with humanity. In fact, became human himself to save us, to rescue us, and to bring his life not only for us, but for this world. Praise be to our God. Let's pray. God, you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. We praise you this morning, for you are good. Thank you that we, Lord, when our if-onlys don't add up, when they, they're not making sense, when the world just doesn't go the way we think it should or want it to, that you are still holding it in your hands. You are still the God of wisdom and power. Like Daniel, help us to rely on you, to run to you in prayer, to praise you for that which we not only receive, but just for being with you. Because, Lord, true wisdom isn't about an answer. True wisdom is about the person who you are and being with you. Because we know that even if death happens, you will raise us from that. We know that death itself has lost its sting. It's been swallowed in victory. Because not only has Christ died, but he's been resurrected. And that gives us hope for today and offers, offers us hope for tomorrow. So Lord, may we depend on you, look to you to be the answer. May we trust in your wisdom and your power. Lord, and we pray for our leaders. We pray for those in power. We pray for those who are designing systems and structures. And we pray for more of your wisdom to be infused in each and every one of their lives as much as each and every one of our systems and structures. Lord, if you could bring Nebuchadnezzar to his knees, there's certainly not a person in this world that you couldn't do the same for as well. So may you be glorified. And again, may your wisdom and power be on display for the world to see 
and for us to see as well. Thank you for your goodness in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us as we praise our King of Kings?
praise forever to the King of Kings. Amen. Babylonian wise men had some wisdom. They knew they didn't know the answer. Nebuchadnezzar found some wisdom. There was a God above all gods and a God above him. Daniel relied on the answer. That was God. And we know in Jesus Christ. We can depend on him. We can look to him. We can rest in him because he is the King of Kings. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, his smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's children said, Amen. Go in peace.